What are the first two things that God did after creating the world? He established family, number one. So he created man and woman, and he brought them together and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. So he created family, a father, a mother, children. This is how life is going to work. And the second thing he did was he put the man in the garden to work. He, he put the, the man in the garden to take care of it so that they would have meaningful work, meaningful purpose in life. So he established family and he gave us work. Now, those are the first two things that were then affected by sin, weren't they? Because as soon as the man and woman fell into sin, what happened? The relationship between them which is the heart and core of that family relationship, was strained and stressed now. Um, her desire would be for her husband. He would try to rule over her. And then they started blaming each other. So it stressed their relationship um, to, bring, to make family. They would bring children in the world. But now bringing children in the world would be painful. It would be a very painful process uh, for that to happen. And then their children, what they end up doing, they end up killing each other, literally. So the family, that the family relationship that God established after creation, that gets just greatly affected. And then work. Work became frustrating. Work became hard. Work now produces sweat and stress. So the first two things God established after creating the world are the first two things that get affected greatly by sin. And as we continue as sinful people, when, as we continue to rebel against our creator's principle for family and work, our homes and our workplaces will become more and more to be the, the scene of our greatest failings and flaws. They, they can even become, they can become very dysfunctional and deeply unhappy places. And so, Jesus came into the world. Jesus came to the world and he was born into a family where he was the child and had parents. And it was a family of someone who worked. Two people who worked. And we know Joseph worked as a carpenter. So Jesus grew up in a family. He lived in a family unit, unit obeying his parents living out life in a family. And also, uh, we know because he's called a carpenter later on, carpenter from Nazareth, so we know he at least worked with his dad. He worked faithfully in that family. And so Jesus grew up in a family. He grew up working. And he perfectly lived out the principles of our creator, keeping the law, doing perfect job in home and, and at work, keeping that law for us. And then we know that he died. He died in our place, being punished for all of our failures at home and at work so that we could be forgiven, forgiven in Jesus, so that we could be forgiven and free to live a whole new life. Now, we don't only live that whole new life that Jesus has given us, as we gather here to worship on, on Sundays. 
This isn't the sum total of living that new life Jesus has given us. All right? We also live out that life all week long in our homes and in our workplaces from Monday to Saturday as we live life God's way, as we reflect Christ in our family life and as we reflect Christ in our jobs and our, our workplaces we are living that life out all week long. And as we glorify God in the family as parents and children, husbands and wives, we're worshiping God at home. And as we glorify God in the workplace as employers and employees, we are worshiping God in the workplace. And so our homes and our offices can become just as much places of worship. Every bit as much a place of worship as any church building or any church event. Worshiping God, Monday to Saturday. We talked about marriages last week. We went into detail about relationship between the husband and the wife. Today we're going to be talking about the marriage, or sorry, the relationship between parents and children. And then we're going to talk about the relationship of the workplace between bosses and workers, employers and employees. So verse 1 in our text, says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So, children who are living in their parents' home are compelled to follow, to obey their parents' instructions, to comply with their parents' instructions. Now, obviously, this is easier when those instructions are sensible and when they've been clearly explained. Obviously, this is easier when, when children have good reason to trust that mom and dad love them. But children are expected, God wants, God wants children to obey their parents. But because children are sinful by nature, just like their parents, they're going to need disciplined love. Not just indulgence. Parents loving their children doesn't just mean, you know, kind of just letting them do whatever they want. It's, they need disciplined love, not indulgence. And they're going to need loving discipline, not bullying. It's, um, it's scary to hear how many parents complain about being unable to discipline their unruly children. And here's why that's scary, because disobedient children are mentioned twice, a couple times, um, in Scripture. One is in Romans chapter 1, where disobedient children are characteristic of pagan depravity. And in, there's another one in 2 Timothy 2, where disobedient children are one of the evils of the last days before Jesus' return. So obviously, Obedient children is something that's pretty important to God's will for us. It's something pretty important to the way that we live life out here as families. Who We talked last week how the husband and the wife are such a beautiful demonstration, like an object lesson to the world of the relationship of Christ and his church. Well, second to that object lesson probably is the relationship of parents and children. They, they give an object lesson. They teach the world what... Uh, what it is to have a loving relationship between father and mother and son and daughter. So parents and children also serve as this object lesson for the world. So, why obey? 
children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So children, don't obey your parents because they're more important than you. They're not. Children, obey your parents because you are Christian. Children, obey your parents because the Lord has loved you. Children, obey your parents because you love the Lord and you want to say thank you to him. You obey the, your parents because you are Christian. As long as your parents aren't commanding you to go against God. But obeying parents is part of a child's loving obedience and thanks to Jesus. So children of all ages, as you are doing your chores, as you are cleaning your room, we heard some of the things, as you are cleaning your room and putting dishes away, putting your laundry away, cleaning the kitchen, making sure that you're in bed before a certain time and getting kind of struggling to understand why those things are so important to your parents. You don't have to believe that your parents always know best because they often don't. And you don't have to accept that a clean room or a clean house or a clean kitchen is morally superior because it isn't. You only need to remember that obeying your parents is the right thing to do because Jesus has asked you to do it. I, I want us to understand that, children. You only need to obey your parents you only need to remember that obeying your parents is the right thing to do because Jesus asked you to do it. It is your opportunity to honor Jesus. It is your opportunity to thank Jesus for being your Savior. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and and mother. So he quotes one of the commandments. So children, obey your Lord, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. So, so keeping this commandment doesn't just mean obeying their rules grudgingly, all right? Check, did all the things mom and dad want me to do, so I'm obeying the commandment. It's not just obeying the rules grudgingly, but it is a lifelong attitude of honor and respect. So respecting, fearing, reverencing your parents doesn't just end the moment you leave the house or you turn 18 or something like that. It's a lifelong attitude that we live in. It's something that we give lifelong, um, even when we're grown up. So respecting parents' wisdom by seeking and heeding their advice, uh, caring for them when they, when they get older and they need more of your help respecting your parents and your parents-in-law by the way that you talk about them at home. So honoring father and mother continues lifelong, even long after the days we moved out of the house and aren't like kind of obeying their rules. We still honor and we respect them by how we live our lives. We said there's a promise to that one, right? There's a promise. Um, there's the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. 
So there's a promise attached to this commandment. Now, this doesn't mean, well, okay, if you obey your parents, you're going to live past 100 every time. But disobedience often brings about bad consequences, right? Your parents give you all these rules when you're little, but there's, there's going to be some, some bad things happening if you decide you want to disobey your parents, right? Like going ahead and putting your hand on that hot stove or going out and playing in the street, hanging out with those bad influences, doing drugs, driving drunk, right? We just go down the list from maybe not as serious than wearing helmets when you're riding to, to things that get quite a bit more serious. But when I disobey my parents, disobedience is going to bring out consequences. And disobedience is, could actually shorten my life <laughs> straight out. Disobedience, though, certainly is going to lessen my enjoyment of life. It's going to lessen the quality of life. It's going to strain relationship between my parents and I and, and the rest of the family members. Disobedience brings shorter life, less quality life. Obedience, actually, a life of being obedient, actually is a life of greater enjoyment, greater joy, greater happiness, and often longer life because the things that our parents give us to do are for our good. They pass wisdom on to us long before we're of the age where, where we hold on to that wisdom on our own. And so our life is blessed and does get blessed when we follow the, the wisdom and the rules and we live in obedience to God's representatives in our life here on earth, mom and dad. And especially it blesses our life in the family, in the home, and in our workplace. Fathers, the next verse now. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. So, as head of the house, fathers have a primary responsibility that they must not neglect. Now, uh, this isn't excluding mothers. Mothers often generally spend more time with their children, and both parents are to be obeyed. But parents aren't always perfect, are they? Fathers, do not provoke your child to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger with, with severe and relentless discipline, um, unreasonably harsh demands, inconsistent and unfair rules of constant criticism or even humiliation, insensitive, insensitivity to child's um, needs and fears and weaknesses. Fathers, fathers sometimes fail to see their child's world with, through their eyes, with, with empathy, forgetting that each child is unique. When, when our kids are young, it's easy to forget that their, their naughtiness is often frustration caused by parents. And when, um, and when they're teenagers, it's very tempting to, to harass them about messy rooms and... Um, and loud music and their social life when, when often those things are cultural issues, not moral issues. The best 
antidote to exasperating our children, whether they are difficult toddlers or, um, or grumpy teenagers, is to commit to enjoy each one of them as a precious gift from God. Friends, recall that we were all kids at one time. And remember, it starts right here. We need to remember how patient our Heavenly Father has been with each one of us. Even when we have been defiant and grumpy. That's where, that's where, that's where our attitude as fathers and mothers begins. That we, we need to remember how patient and loving with His forgiveness our Heavenly Father has been with us for the many times that we have been grumpy and defiant. So verse 4 says, Instead, instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, that word training there means corrective discipline. And discipline includes correcting behavior with firm words and actions. There's a difference between children being childish, which loving parents will patiently tolerate, and disobedient which loving parents will not tolerate. There's a difference between uh, a child's spirited energy, which needs to be encouraged, and a child's stubborn willfulness, which needs to be tamed. But parents, fathers, mothers, don't forget this. Your child has an old Adam. Your child has a sinful nature. It has that old sinful person inside of them, no matter how cute they are, and they're cute. But they have an old Adam inside there. You've seen it when it comes out, and it's ugly, okay? You have to remember that you are dealing, when you're dealing with your child, you're dealing with someone who has an old Adam, a sinful nature. And so they need to hear the law from you. They need to hear from the word of God where they are going against God and where their life is not lining up with the way that God expects us to live. They need to hear the law. And when that law has produced in them repentance, when they, when that has, when they have come to realization that they are in the wrong and they, they apologize, they repent for that, you need to share the gospel. You need to share the good news that they're forgiven in Jesus. Because here's the other thing you have to remember about your children. Um, ever since they have been baptized, ever since God has brought them to faith in Jesus as their Savior, they also have a new person that lives in them. So even when they're being ugly, even when they're being awful, you have to remember there's a new person living in there. Not a new Adam, a new person, a Jesus person that lives inside them. And you have to speak to that person too. You have to continually, regularly remind them of that forgiveness they have in Jesus. And then you need to instruct them how to live their life in response to that good news. So fathers, instruct your children. Instruct your children. The way they live begins with the way they think. The way they behave starts with the way they think. So direct their thinking with the word of God. Influence their thinking with the word of God. Let God transform them from the inside out. Let God influence the way they behave by influencing the way they think. Read the Bible with them and discuss how those principles apply to their lives. Team up with mom. Dads, team up with mom to provide your children a solid understanding of the Word of God. 
Um, not just words, actions as well as words. Actions as well as words. <laughs> Stay married, if at all possible. Stay married. Stay faithful to your spouse. Love your spouse well so they can see what loving faithfulness truly is. Take them to a good church, a gospel teaching and preaching church in a committed way, not a casual way. Take them to a church in a way that shows them this is what life is about. This is part of our life. This isn't just something we do Christmas and Easter. This is just something we do when someone gets baptized or when this, but this is part of our life. Show them that this is part of our life. Read the Bible at home. Have devotions with your family. And as you read the Bible with them, let them, ask them to talk about what they're learning there, to ask questions, to get feedback, to express their faith. Pray with each of your children individually. Pray together, of course. Pray with each of them individually too and let them pray. We're giving ideas here. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe just take them out once in a while I don't know, for a little treat or something, but just some little time where it's you and them and you get a little, little checkup on their spiritual life. But there's so many ways that we can invest ourselves, not just by words, but by actions into the spiritual training and instructing of our children. I want you to remember three things. It takes a church to raise a child. So show up. Turn up. It takes a church to raise children. Um, your children's spiritual training begins at home, okay? Family-centered. It begins at home. That's, most, that's even more important than church. But your church can help equip you for that. And your children need spiritually healthy role models other than just mom and dad. It takes a church to raise a child. So show up, turn up. Second thing is this. It takes the gospel to raise children. So speak up. Don't just talk about God's laws, what he expects. Talks about, talk about God's loving forgiveness through Jesus with your children. Let that gospel attitude fill your house. More joy than guilt. Monday through Saturday as well as Sunday. And the third thing, it takes God to raise a child. So pray up. It's not good English, but you get what I'm saying. Fellow parents, we can't do this on our own. So let's pray for help. Let's pray for help. Let's pray for each other. Pray for other parents. And let's pray with our children. Then we move into the other section, the other place we're going to worship God Monday to Saturday, and that is at the workplace. Working for the boss. Verses 5 to 8. Slaves... Yeah, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does whether he is slave or free. Now, 
slavery was a slavery was a foundational part of the the society and the economy of of the, the Roman Empire, the ancient world as a whole. And and it most it wasn't it was it was quite different really than usually it was different than well we the awful example we think of slavery in the in in the last couple hundred years in in this continent of ours and and how awful that was, um, but it wasn't always. It wasn't always good either. It, it was more closer to work than, than what we know of, of the forced slavery and the captive sort of slavery that happened uh, in the last uh, few centuries here. But, um, but nonetheless, so it wasn't, it wasn't great, but it, it, it was how it was part of the society that the world lived in. And slavery was probably a big part even right there in the Ephesian congregation. And, and there's definitely some evils even involved with this kind of slavery. But, but the Apostle Paul, doesn't, he's not going to get in the political realm of things. He, didn't, he doesn't, in this letter, he doesn't um, condemn or try to abolish slavery, but he doesn't approve of it either. Rather, what he does is this. He tells Christians, he urges Christians to be good slaves. If you're a Christian and you're a slave, be a good one. And so the message for us today is this. As Christians, let's be good employees for whom we work. So there's, there's three principles I want to take us through, three principles for worshiping Christ in our working lives. And one is that as Christians, we're going to obey the instructions that our bosses give us. Uh, the second one is that we work for the Lord, not for, not for people. And the third one is that God rewards that. When we're being faithful in serving him, by serving the ones we, we work for, God's going to bless that and he's going to reward that. So the first principle is that Christian employees should obey the instructions that our bosses give us. All right? As long as those instructions are not immoral. For example, the Hebrew midwives refused to obey their Egyptian masters by not killing those baby boys that were being born in Egypt. In the same way that Christians today, the Christian doctors and nurses won't collude with abortions. So we're, we're not gonna we're gonna obey those instructions as long as they're not immoral. We're also gonna obey instructions as long as they're not as long as they're not idolatrous. For example, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to obey their Babylonian master when he commanded them to bow down to that golden statue. In the same way that Christians today will not uh, participate in multi faith services. So we're going to obey instructions as long as they're not idolatrous. And third, we're going to obey instructions as long as they, are, they do not suppress or try to quiet the gospel. For example, the apostles refused to obey the Sanhedrin when the Sanhedrin commanded them not to speak anymore about the risen Jesus. So Christians cannot agree to keep silent about Jesus and what he's done. So, if our employers threaten to punish us in some way, shape, or form because of these ways of us being a faithful witness to Christ, then let them punish us. Let them dock us. Let them do what they're going to do and count yourselves worthy to suffer disgrace for his name. Or find another job. But Christian employees, Christian workers, we as Christians will not refuse to obey our bosses because we're tired or because we're treated, being treated unfairly 
or, or because we've been demeaned. Because we are working not for them, we're working for him. We're working for Christ who suffered and endured much worse than we did for our sake. So we're going to obey. We're going to obey our bosses just as we would obey Christ. It's, in fact, part of our worshiping Christ. Part of our worshiping Christ is obeying the ones that we are employed for, showing them honor and respect, whether they deserve it or not. Because we're honoring and respecting him who we're working for. We, we don't obey our boss to uh, win their favor just while their eye is on us. Just so we're looking good for them. You know, like, like leaving your jacket on your, your chair at the office to make it look like you're still at the office. Or like, you know, you're working really hard at that computer. You know, re- working really hard doing the work of the, of the company, right? Fantasy football. Or um, by may- maybe claiming the work of others as your own. And we could list a lot of ways that we do that. So we're, that's not what we're going to do. Not just to win the favor of bosses, to make them think we're doing good. Um, that isn't going to be our mindset. That is going to be our purpose at work. But rather, we're going to obey our bosses because we want to obey and honor Christ. So he always sees exactly what we're doing, even when our bosses don't see what we're doing. And we, we work for him. And so we're going to work in a way that, that God would be proud of, that God would be happy with, that would honor him, regardless of what our bosses think. Because we want to show the people at work and the ones that we work for what faithful service to Christ is all about and what it looks like. And that is going to make a difference. Now, there was a uh, brokerage firm in a large city that uh, this large firm, large city, where, where some of the, uh, like kind of the, the big executives, the, the high up, the, the, the executives were, um, they were mocking the faith of the Christian employees that worked for the firm. So they were having a good old time mocking the faith of their Christian employees. Um, but one cynical director, upon hearing the names of who were the believers, he had to concede. One thing you have to admit is that they make good workers. Did you hear that? That kind of witness at work will gain an audience for the gospel. Do you see what you're, when, when you go to work, and when you're faithful and you're just doing what you're doing because you love God and you're working for him and you're doing that for him and you're just being faithful, even if you get mocked for it, even if you know, you, you don't, you're not in the circles that get to gather, you're kind of on the outs because of who you are or, or whatever it is that you get treated at work because of that, they're going to see th- that you are someone who's valuable to the company. They're going to see someone that you as someone who are, who are valuable and, and because you are a faithful worker. And when they start one day putting that together with the fact that, oh, maybe, maybe it's your faith that creates that, that will create opportunities for you to then share with them just why that is and just why Jesus is so wonderful. So our, our, our faithful witness at work 
creates gains for us, uh, these opportunities, these open doors to witness the gospel. The second thing um, that we want to, the second principle is that we're serving the Lord, not people. So since the whole earth belongs to God, in our own small way, in our own small way, we are helping to govern God's creation. Whether we write contracts or computer programs or sermons, whether we make buildings or roads or pizzas, whether we, whether we fix plumbing or broken cars or broken arms, whether we teach music or math or management, whether we are washing our family's laundry or watching stock prices, we are worshiping God when we do that for him. We are... We are helping God govern his creation and we are worshiping and honoring God when we do that for him. We do all those things to provide for our family, right? To feed our family, to, to, um, to contribute to the gospel work of our church, to be generous with people who are in need, to seek opportunities to witness to fellow workers at work but most of all, above all of those, to thank and honor and worship and obey the one who we are really working for, and that is Jesus. The third principle is that the Lord will reward it. Now, our greatest reward that we have coming for all of us is, is heaven, and that is a reward that he has earned for us. Whether you're a master or a slave, uh, an employer or an employee, no matter who you are, that's something that God has earned for us. But God finds ways to bless us. He finds ways to bless us when we are faithfully serving him. And we, you will always find that we will receive back more than full payment. More than full payment. Not necessarily in earthly currency, but in heaven's currency. Finally, word for you bosses out there working as the boss. Verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Treat your slaves the same way that you want to be treated? That would have been culturally shocking. You understand how shocking that would have been for the people in that age, in that day. Treat your slaves just how you would want to be treated. So employers, bosses, same thing goes for you today. Treat those who work for you the same way that you would want to be treated. Now, that, that doesn't mean not leading or abdicating all leadership. You need to be leading. You need to be giving instructions. But you're going to do so with the same exact respect for Christ that you would expect your workers that they should be showing for you. So uh, stop threatening your workers with, with unjust consequences. Um, Codes of conduct, discipline, and penalties are, are necessary, but so are grievance procedures. So your, your workers shouldn't live in fear of their boss unjustly taking away their livelihood. So first, um, Christian, bosses, Christian bosses know that their heavenly master also happens to be their, employer, their, their employee's master. 
They're both serving the same Lord. They're both accountable to the same Lord. They're both worshiping the same Lord. And so even though you might be a master over those, a master over those who work for you, you need to be aware always that someone is your master, that you have someone who is your master as well as that, as well as their master. And to him, you're all equal. Because to God, there are no favorites. Secondly, God doesn't play favorites. So those in senior positions in this world are, are you know, they become very used to advantages and, and privileges, but there is no soci- social or, or economic ed, uh, bias with God. God isn't going to reward bosses more in heaven because they're better education or nicer suits. God doesn't love the middle class more. God doesn't even love the poor people more. So um, if, you're used to, if you're a business person who is used to traveling in business class when you travel in this world, just know it's not going to be like that in heaven. CEOs and street sweepers are going to stand on the same dock on Judgment Day. Christian bosses, be firm, but be fair. So carry out necessary discipline, but never be dismissive of your workers' needs. Don't be unfair in what you pay them just because there's nothing they can do about it. Remember, you are doing what you do because you are honoring and worshiping the Lord. And it all comes down to this. It all comes down to this. The change happens in your attitude toward your workers. The change will happen when you appreciate, when your heart appreciates what your own master in heaven has done by sending his own son for you to forgive you for all your faults and give you life with him forever. And that is what changes everything for us. So, as parents and children, as employers and employees, living and working together as servants of Christ, we make God's name great from Sunday through Saturday. We display God's triumph from Sunday through Saturday. So the, the, the triumph of, the, the triumphant victory of the cross, the triumphant victory of the cross over evil is not only demonstrated here in church on Sundays, but it is powerfully displayed when, when God's people are living life God's way in their homes and in their workplaces from Monday through Saturday. So parents, when you are, when you are giving instruction to your children and bringing them up in the training instruction of the Lord because you are worshiping God and you're giving your thanks to God, you are worshiping God through that. Children, when you are obeying your parents because you love the Lord, you are worshiping God in your homes. Employees, as you, as you are working faithfully in your places of work, in your offices and factories and as you build homes, you are worshiping the Lord there in your workplace. And bosses, as you are taking good care of those who work for you and showing them the same respect you would have them show you, you are worshiping the Lord in your places of work, worshiping Monday through Saturday. And although our homes and our workplaces can be painful and difficult, places because of sin, the word of God points us to the day when we will enjoy a perfect relationship with our heavenly family. And the day we will enjoy a perfect relationship with the one whom we work for in joy. So we are worshiping God today, right here. But friends, 
let's worship him Monday through Saturday as well. Amen.